Well, it's a may not be an exciting morning for you, but it's an exciting morning for me because we are beginning Luke chapter 23 this morning, right? We have had eight weeks in, in chapter 22, and it's time for us to, to start chapter 23, and chapter 23 is going to be full of, of, of some wonderful things uh, for us. So I encourage you to, to spend some time over these next coming weeks in chapter 23, reading it, unpacking it for yourself, um, studying it, praying over it, praying for me and praying for others, part of the church, that as we hear the word of God, especially Luke chapter 23, which is the pinnacle of Luke's gospel. So we, are, we are coming to the, to the top of the mountain of Luke's uh, gospel. Um, so here we are. So uh, as you are at chapter 23, I hope, right now in your, in your Bibles, glance back really quick to verses 63 through 71 of chapter 22, and, and you'll see that Jesus' trials, his trials before he goes to the cross, have already began, right? And they began by the religious leaders of the day, the Jewish religious leaders. They, they arrested Jesus in the garden by night, took him to the high priest's house at night, and began to try him as whatever they wanted, whatever it took, so that he would be killed. He was arrested, taken to the questioning. He was accused. False witnesses came before him. They even allowed him to be mocked and beaten and blasphemed by the guards and others, and yet Jesus did not speak. In the daytime, they took Jesus to be formally tried by the council, the council of the Sanhedrin, which is all the, the religious leaders, the, the big dogs of the Jews, the who's who of the Jewish religion at the time, the ones who had all the power. And they questioned Jesus Again, already knowing that they wanted him dead. You can go back to the beginning of chapter 22, and you can see that. In the very beginning, they wanted Jesus dead. And so when it came down to it, the very last question that they asked him in verse 71, Are you the Son of God? Not 71, excuse me. I think it's verse 70. Jesus basically says, I am what you say that I am. I am the Son of God. And so that's why verse 71, we see their reactions. We see their reactions of what this kind of confession would do. They weren't there to worship the Son of God. They were there to kill Him. They rented their robes in anger and disgust and then formally condemned Him to die for what? Blasphemy. Remember that. Blasphemy. And that's where we are, we are left off with today. So, what would they have to do now to accomplish their plan to see Jesus die? And so what we will see at play in our passage this morning are, is the three political groups in a struggle this morning with Jesus in the midst of it. Look at verse one now in Luke chapter 23, and let's read that together. 
Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was from Galilee. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he, he was very glad, for he long desired to see him, because he had heard about him. He was hoping to see some sign done by him. So we questioned him at length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been an enmity with each other. This is the word of the Lord, and may His Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see His holy, inspired, and inerrant word for His glory and our joy. So this morning, as we look at this, this passage, I want us to unpack it together and look at its, the historical details that Luke gives us, and as I, what Luke gives us, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, I want us to, in a sense, unpack and discover why Luke gives us these particular details. And I think there's three distinct parts to this, to this passage, and, and as we go through, you'll see each particular part. But in each one of these parts, Luke gives us particular details about this event and about Jesus that he wants us to know. And at the end, I'm going to come back with one clear point from those three events. So let's look at, let's look at the text. Now, what John tells us, and John gives us some really great details as well, and we'll be turning to John 18 in just a little bit because I want you to see some, some things uh, in there. But John tells us that it's still early in the morning. He tells us that it's still early in the morning. So apparently it didn't take very long for the Sanhedrin to convict Jesus and determine that, that Jesus had to die. Remember verse 71, they said, what further testimony do we need? We've heard it from ourselves and from his own lips. So Jesus had confessed to them that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of Man. He said that back in verse 69. Now, so they accused him, and they got their confession that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy, which is exactly what they wanted Jesus to do. They wanted Jesus to, to implicate himself so that they could uh, have him executed in their minds, put to death, 
for blasphemy. Now, however, they have a problem. And their problem is, is that they are under Roman rule and under Roman laws. And under Roman rule and under Roman law, they did not have the authority themselves to put Jesus to death or to execute anyone just because they broke one of their religious laws. Only the Romans had the authority to sentence someone to death. And this is where their problem really gets complicated. Because between the Jews and the Romans was hundreds of years of bitter hatred between the two. They did not like each other at all. They, they didn't live in peace, right? You know, particularly maybe at this time, things were peaceful. They weren't fighting each other. There wasn't rebellion going on, but it wasn't peace. It was a we get along to get along kind of thing for the good of all of us. It's carnal civility. It's not really peace. And the Jewish leaders, they despised the Romans because their occupation of Israel, and they wanted them gone. They wanted them out of there. But however, they still needed the Romans to give permission for Jesus to be put to death, to sentence him. Now it's really sad because it would seem then that they hated Jesus more than they hated the Romans at this moment. Nevertheless, who would they have to go to to get their desires fulfilled? But the Pontius Pilate, the Roman procreator of, of, of Samaria and Judea. He was the, the head Roman in charge of the area. And he just so happened to be in town. Now, Pontius Pilate was an interesting character in history, to say the least. And really, the only reason why we even know Pontius Pilate today, like we've even heard his name is even after 2,000 years, is because of his actions and his inactions recorded in the Gospels. Pilate was a very controversial figure. Some hated him, and some liked him, but the Jews especially hated him. Uh, we know from, from history at one point that, that Pilate went into the temple and confiscated all the money out of the temple so that they could pay for an aqueduct in Jerusalem to be, to be built. That would be like Bullock County taking our, all of our money from our account so that they could pave the roads or extend gas lines out to another part of the county. We wouldn't, we wouldn't like that. Among other things that he did, he also had throughout Jerusalem put up Roman flags as kind of a, you're the losers and we're the winners here. He put you in your place of who's really in charge. And then we have what was said uh, about uh, uh, Pilate back in Luke chapter 13, uh, verse 1. There was a, a story or, or a known news event or thing that happened where some Galileans crossed Rome and, and Pilate came on down on them really hard. He had them slaughtered. And then to prove the point, he took the blood uh, of those particular Galileans and he had it mingled with the Jewish sacrifices. 
And why in the world would he do that? To prove a point. To make an example. Pilate had one job. To keep the peace and to collect taxes, according to Rome. They didn't care about anything else but keep the peace and, pay, and get the taxes. And have no doubt that Pontius Pilate is no different than any politician today. I mean, just no doubt. This is why. Because he will always err on the side of brutality to protect himself and his position before peace, ever. He'll always protect himself and his power. Now, John chapter 18 gives us the details like I was telling you. You can, you can turn there and go ahead and look. I'm just going to describe the first part, but a little bit later we'll read a couple verses from uh, uh, John 18. But, but John 18 is, is pretty amazing, the details that, that Luke doesn't give us about the interaction that happened that particular morning when the Sanhedrin showed up with, with Jesus. They, they brought him to Pilate, and the, the, the Jews, they wouldn't even go into his house because they thought going into a Gentile's house would would defile them for the, rest of the, for the rest of the feasts that week or to work into the temple. So they wouldn't even go into, the, into uh, uh, Pilate's house. And, and when they brought him to his house, they just sent in a request. A, a, actually, it was more of a demand. They, they demanded, with no charges leveraged, sentence Jesus to death. This isn't the right text yet, if you're putting it up sentence Jesus to death. With no details, no charges, have no trial, Pilate. And Pilate asks, well, what are you accusing him of? Why would I just put him to death? And, and their answer basically back is, listen, we've, we've already convicted him. We've already found him guilty. So all you have to do is sentence him. And Pilate said, well, then what is he guilty of? And they're like, it's none of your business. Just sentence him so he can be put to death. It's an amazing interaction there in, in, in chapter 18 of, of John. But Pilate wouldn't give in to it. Remember, there's this hate relationship. He's not giving in to them. He's not giving them what they, what they want. He won't give in to them unless he hears the charges. And that's where we get to verse 2 of Luke chapter 23. So verse 2 is the accusations of the Sanhedrin. And I want you to notice that when we read these accusations, that they are completely different from what we heard earlier. They're completely different from what they convicted him of in chapter 22. Their charges before were religious of blasphemy. But Pilate would, have, would care nothing about that. That's not against Roman law. He's a politician. And Jesus was popular. He wouldn't kill him for that, put him to death for that. So here what they accuse him of. He says, we found this man misleading our nation, forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now these charges are treason. They are treason in nature, sedition, and anarchy. It's pretty much suggesting the pilot here, hey man, we're doing your job here. We're, we're doing you a huge favor by, by turning in one of our people. We're doing the right thing, so just give us what we want. And if these 
accusations were true, any Roman official worth anything would have to act on them. The Jews, ever since the Roman occupation, they have been rebelling against the Romans. I mean, several times they were rebelling against the, the Romans. The most recent one had been uh, 6 AD. I mean, this is fresh in, their, fresh in their minds, and the Jewish leaders know this. What's the quickest way for, the, Jew, or for the, the Romans to sentence Jesus to death? Charge him of treason against Rome. Treason against Rome. This is how we get him put to death. Now, was there any truth or any facts to back up these charges? Has Jesus led anyone against Rome? Has Jesus misled anyone in any way to subvert Roman authority? Of course not. We, we, this has been a historical account in, Luke, in, in the Gospel of Luke and tells us over and over again that all of these charges are an outright lie. Did Jesus forbid us or forbid his followers to give tribute to Caesar? Of course not. Another outright lie. In fact, he actually told the people to pay their taxes. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Pay your taxes. But give the things that God is owed what God owes. These first two accusations are outright lies with no facts to back them up. But certainly fits their agenda to have Jesus put to death from the Romans. But then there's this last accusation. It says, he himself is Christ, a king. Now, when we hear this, we'd say, amen. He is the Christ. He is, he, he is the king. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. But that is not what they meant when they said this to Pilate. Jesus himself agreed with Peter when Peter uh, confessed that Jesus was the Christ. What well, didn't he? He even told him that it was God himself who revealed this to you, Peter, that I am the Christ, the Son of God. But yet throughout Jesus' ministry, he doesn't use the language Messiah, Christ, or King very often, especially about himself. And there's a good reason for that. Remember the Jewish expectation. They were always looking. But they were expecting a warrior king, a Messiah that would come and deliver the Jews from Roman occupation to start a revolution, a rebellion of Rome, and, and kick them out to rid wickedness from Israel and for that particular Messiah to come and pat the Pharisees on the back for doing such a great job while he's been gone. That's what they were expecting. And that's not what Jesus was. Jesus was a different kind of king or a different kind of Messiah. And throughout Luke's gospel, he tells us over and over and over that he's not the king that they are expecting. He's not the Messiah that they were expecting. But oh, he would be so much more. He would be so much more. So much greater. So much bigger so much more important than just to kick out Rome. So much more than just for earthly freedom or earthly recognition, but spiritual freedom, 
from an enemy of us all. And Jesus didn't want to make people think that that was his goal into coming into the world. But this charge of political treason is basically them saying that he wants to be Caesar. And he wants to kick all of you out. So in these, this first area of, of the accusations, what is Luke wanting us to see? He wants us to see that these charges, and then for ourselves to discern from accurate historical account that we have walked through for years now in Luke's gospel, that we would know for certain that these charges against Jesus are false. He wants us to know that even though these charges are false, Jesus still died on the cross. He still died on the cross even though he's completely innocent and these charges against him are only the charges of man. What could man accuse God of? Nothing. Nothing. And that's the first thing that he wants us to see here. He wants us to see that Jesus is completely innocent. That he's completely innocent. And now it's Pilate's turn to ask the question, and he asks one simple question, are you the king of the Jews? And this question focuses, namely, again, on that third accusation of, of being a king. And Jesus answers back, you have said so. Again, he answers this way because it's a reluctant agreeing with him because he knows what Pilate's thinking. He knows how the Jews have leveraged that question is not in the same way that Jesus is saying. But what's stunning is after Jesus said, you've said it so, look at verse 4. What does Pilate say? Pilate doesn't hand down a guilty verdict. He says what? He says he's innocent. That he's, that he's innocent of these things. And how does that take place? Well, that, that, answer, that question's answered from John 18, verses 33 through 38. If you're there, look at it right now. Look at verse 33 to be on the screen. Here it is. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So here's the question that we were uh, proposed that Luke told us. That was the question that was asked by Pilate. And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it about me? And this is basically Jesus asking a question of motive. Are you asking because you really want to know who I am, or are you just playing the game that someone else wants you to play? That's pretty much what Jesus is asking. And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Well, what Pilate's saying is that he doesn't care about the Jewish squabbles. He just wants to know if these accusations have any truth to them. And this is what Jesus answers. This is very important. Look at verse 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. And if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have what? They would have been fighting. That I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. He is saying, I am a king, but not of this world. 
not in the kind of king that you would expect, and certainly, certainly not. And the evidence that Jesus gives is there's no fighting. There's no violence. There's no uproar. There's no rebellion. There's no revolution taking place. And then Pilate said to him, verse 37, so you are a king. So are you a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. There's a theme there throughout John's gospel of that particular line. If they know the truth, they listen to my voice. And here's Pilate's response. What is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside the Jews, and he said exactly what we see recorded in Luke. I find no guilt in him. So right at that line where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, I think that is the very point where Pilate makes his decision that this man is not guilty. Because he doesn't care about any other kingdom. He doesn't care. I think, I think Jesus could have said, um, I am the king of Mars, of a totally different planet. I don't think he would have cared. He only cared about the Roman Empire. He didn't care what Jesus had to say which is quite unfortunate when the Son of God is speaking so clearly about what truth is and the facts that back the truth are standing right there. And the state of his heart, as he cynically answers the question, answers with the question, what is truth? But again, he says, I find no guilt in this man. Think about it. At this point, the highest-ranking Roman official in all of Judea says that Jesus is innocent of these charges. That he's innocent. That there's no guilt in Jesus at all. Not one of those accusations. And again, this is important for us to see and to understand and there's a point that I think Luke is wanting to make to us. The Holy Spirit is wanting to us for us to understand very particularly about Jesus. Is that not only was Jesus falsely accused, but Jesus was publicly cleared innocent. Publicly cleared innocent. Now that's important. That's so important because in this chapter, in just a couple weeks, guess what? Jesus is going to be crucified as if he was guilty. As if he was guilty. Going to a cross was only for criminals. And when we see that passage, and when we get to that passage in a couple weeks, we're meant to look back and be like, but he's innocent. He's innocent. He's falsely accused, and they're all lies, and he's, he's innocent. And yet he was still crucified on the cross. And why? Get a little help from my friend, Charles Wesley. He said, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood, died for me, who caused his pain, for me, him who him to death pursued, amazing love, how can it be 
that now my God would die for me. That is why. And of course the Jewish leaders, they are completely unsatisfied with Pilate's decision. They want him dead, so they lob out more accusations in verse 5. Here, here's the politics again. Pilate's put in the difficult place here. He didn't want to give in to the Jews. He knew Jesus was innocent. But yet, on the other hand, he also knew that the Jews can really make his life difficult. That they can really make his life difficult. And they can hurt him in the end. Pilate was afraid of the Jews. He was afraid of the Jewish leaders. And in the end, what we will say, and I think it's next week, he will capitulate to every one of their demands, despite facts and despite truth. But now he's looking for an escape, and he hears him from Galilee, and there's the ticket. So what does he do? He sends them to, to Herod. Problem solved. And this is the interrogation of Herod, right? And, and this is interesting, because the interrogation of Herod is only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It's not in Matthew, it's not in Mark, it's not in, in John. I think it's pretty clear to say that, that Herod Antipas was, was a moron and a puppet. And, and we see it in this particular event. He's another one of those infamous characters of the Bible. His family was a disaster. In fact, remember, he, was, he, he wanted to be king after his father died, but there was four brothers, so they split the kingdom, and, and Rome refused to give the title king to that family again. Refused to give them the title king. This is the, the same Herod. If you remember, he married his brother's wife, um, and, and for that sin, uh, John the Baptist rebuked him publicly. And so John the Baptist was arrested. Y'all remember that story? He was arrested. And then on the occasion of his birthday celebration, Herod foolishly promised to give the daughter of Herodias whatever she wanted because she danced in front of him and his friends. And they asked for John the Baptist to be beheaded and to have his head put on a platter. And that's what she got. Luke also tells us of the time that, uh, that when Herod began to hear the things that Jesus was doing, he was like fearful in his mind because he thought Jesus was John the Baptist alive again, resurrected again. And he wanted to see Jesus because of that curiosity and desire to see if a dead man was actually walking. And yet Jesus wouldn't go. Now, according to the, the verse 8, we, we know in this story, Herod had absolutely no spiritual interest or genuine desire whatsoever to see Jesus. All he wanted Jesus to do was put on a show. That's all he wanted Jesus to do, was to put on a show. Entertain me, Jesus, with your magic. And you just got to love Jesus here because he was not playing those games, was he? He's questioned over and over, and we don't even know what those questions are, and it doesn't even matter. The important thing from this text is that Jesus made no answer. And think about it. Jesus was willing to answer the high priest. He even had a meaningful conversation with a pagan Gentile, Pontius Pilate. But Herod, he gave him nothing. He only gave him dreadful silence. 
And that speaks volumes, volumes of where Herod was and how his conscience was so seared and so wicked that there was no hope of repentance at all. And verse 11 proves his complete dismissal of Jesus. He turned the whole thing into a mockery, dressing Jesus up and treating him with contempt, which means he was treating him as worthless and, and with hatred. They mocked him. They dressed him up, mocking him. Mocking him, why? Mocking him with what? That he was a king. That he was a fake. That he was a wannabe king. And yet the irony of the whole situation is that a fake wannabe king was mocking the king of kings. Now what is Luke showing us here? He's showing us again that as the accusations are false, and that he has already been uh, publicly declared innocent, is that Jesus will still be misunderstood and rejected. Boy, that speaks volumes. Gives us clarity. Clarity in, in, in a world that openly, constantly is rejecting Christ. So here's the, the one big overall important point that I want you to see. So in verse 2, what is Jesus accused of being? He's accused of being a king. In verse 3, Pilate asks Jesus directly if he's the king of the Jews. And we've already said the answer, that, that Jesus answers quite precisely. You have said so. And we've already said why he answered the question like that, because he didn't want to completely endorse their misunderstanding and their mis-expectation of the Messiah and as the, the coming king. He didn't want to be misunderstood. But he also was trying to not avoid the cross. He wasn't avoiding the cross. And he answers in a way that's truthful and points to the Messiah and the king that he really is. So the big point in this passage, brothers and sisters, here is this. That Jesus is the Christ. And that he is the king. And yet in much greater ways than ever to be expected. You see, in our Christian expectation is, is not that Jesus has come to change governments and the world in, in the ways that, that they were expecting. Jesus doesn't have that expectation on us. That we're to be running for office because of our Christian uh, uh, moral obligation, running to, for office and changing government and changing things so it looks more Christian. Now certainly our Christianity influences those things in our morality, and we can't separate those two. And the politicians that do, they're just morons and they're politicians. That's what they do. You can't divorce the two. But the expectation on his people is not that. Our expectation of Christ is not that. Remember, his kingdom is not of this world, but it's in this world. It's right here this morning. It's, it's in this room. It's us gathered together. It's groups of Christians gathered all over the world for in, in all of history on the, the Lord's day. That's the kingdom. And it's building, and it's coming. But Jesus wasn't the kind of king that Pilate thinks he was. He certainly didn't look the part after being beaten half to death. 
I think that may be another reason why he able to dismiss the charges. What kind of king would let himself get beaten like this? He wasn't the kind of Messiah that the Sanhedrin were, was expecting. He was a completely different king. Jesus is a completely different king. And Luke is showing us here that he is a greater king. He is a greater king, either, even greater than David himself. We read that this morning, didn't we? In 2 Samuel chapter 2, he's even greater than David because Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, he is the King of kings. And he has come. He has come to bring forgiveness of sin. That is why he is greater. And because by his wounds from this king, we can be healed and we can be reconciled with God. And his kingdom would come not through chariots and not through horses, not through tanks, not through legislation, but it would come through the cross. It would come through suffering. It would come through death. Oh, brothers and sisters, I would contend with you that in the cross we see a much greater king than Caesar ever was. We see a king that, that we needed. We see a king that never sinned. We see a king that, was, that had no guilt at all. We see a king who had no accusation could stick. We see a king who was publicly declared innocent. We see a king who was mocked and mistreated and yet still endured and went to the cross. And that, my friends, is what Luke is showing us here. That is what Luke wants us to understand about Jesus in these trials and in his suffering and in his questions. That Jesus is exactly the kind of king that we all needed. Exactly. Exactly the kind of king we all needed. And why? Because we were guilty. We were the guilty ones. Because we do have sin. We do have guilt. We have accusations and charges that could be lobbed at every one of us, and they would be true. But every one of us, we are not innocent. We may be innocent of some things, but we are not innocent of everything. But Jesus was exactly the king and the Messiah we needed because only in Christ, only in this king of kings could we ever be free from the bondage of slavery into sin and adopted to be sons of God. And he is the only king who could take away that guilt and that sin and now say, innocent. Because he was innocent. And this king, Jesus Christ, has not only provided for the forgiveness of our sin, but he has taken away our guilt. And he also, he has given us his righteousness. 
Now, where in the world would you ever find another king that would do that? That would give his right standing. That would give his place. That would give his standard. That would give his love. That would give his grace. And would give that mercy to the guilty. That is why he is the king we all needed. And this is such good news of grace. And Luke is telling us so that we would not miss it. The Sanhedrin missed it. The Pilate missed it. Herod missed it. But if Jesus is this king and Messiah who has given us his righteousness, then that means what? That means I don't have to save myself. That means I don't have to pretend to to work to be the king. I don't have to be my own king. I don't have to carry the burdens or the responsibility of being a king. Because he is the king. I don't have to try to earn my salvation or my own or to be my own savior or for that matter be anyone else's king or be anyone else's savior. If he is the king, then we are free to trust him, to delight in him, to rest in him. Because this king doesn't leave us out. He brings us into his kingdom where he blesses us with every good thing we will ever need in this life by his grace and by his death, or in death and also in eternity. He has given us all things that we need. Think about that. We haven't been welcomed into just a greater country. We have been welcomed into a kingdom that is eternal that is everlasting, that is everlasting, his everlasting kingdom. And if you are in Christ, then you are included and brought into something that will never, ever end. (laughs) Never end. So brothers and sisters, let striving cease. Stop fighting. Stop pretending. Submit to the king. Rest in his reign. Rest in his sovereignty. The one who took our guilt and our shame of our sin and he bore in himself the wrath of God that was due to us even though he was innocent. Jesus is not the kind of king that is wanted. But Luke is very clear that he is the kind of king that we needed. He is the kind of king that we needed. And the Apostle Paul expounds that on in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. To us, brothers and sisters, knowing that Jesus is the king that we needed is the very thing that gives us peace and assurance. As Jesus is being rejected all around the world, as as being crosses, just folly, what kind of king would die on the cross? The kind of king that loves his people. The kind of king that would provide what we really needed. 
the kind of king that we needed that sacrificed himself for his people. And he's the kind of king, brothers and sisters, for us, for us, and is completely worthy of all of our allegiance and our trust and our faith. Let's pray to our king. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to be the king that we needed, to be the Messiah that we needed. We needed a king to be our substitute, not a, not a king building fancy palaces, not a king driving fancy chariots and putting crowns on his head and wearing fancy robes, but we need a king that would go to the cross. And Lord, you provided your son who was completely innocent, accused and yet innocent, and rejected. And why? So that those who were guilty, those who were guilty of breaking your laws and treason against you, O oh God, can be declared righteous before you. That the blood of Christ would cover our sins and make us whole and make us new and adopt us into your family as sons of God. And give us your righteousness. What other king would do such a thing? Jesus. And so, Lord, we, we give you the praise and the glory for those things. And help us to rest in that, Lord. Let us Help us to see the areas of our lives that maybe we are striving to be our own king or striving to be our own savior, to justify ourselves. Lord, let us cease striving in those areas and find peace with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we pray all those things in his name. Amen.